Every Wednesday morning, we bring you a focus, a feature, a look into the life or sometimes lives of interesting people. It's a little something we call really cool jobs, and today... I'm like giddy. I'm giddy to have Sheldon Elter and Howie Miller in studio. Of course, stars of Caution May Contain Nuts on APTN. And as of tonight, Delmer and Marta. Fellas, welcome and congratulations on the new show. Awesome. Thank you and yeah. good morning, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, us. how do I even introduce you? So, so uh, you, you know, your, your stage, your theater actors, stand-up comics, musicians. How do you introduce yourselves? Do we say artists? Uh, Mr. TV's Howie Miller is usually what I do. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Edmonton's own Sheldon Elter. <laughs> I like it. That was that was a hell of a voice. I got to be careful bringing guys like you on the show. You know, the, the guests will fall in love, and uh, the next thing I know, I'm out of work. Delmer and Marta it, it premieres tonight, APTN, ten o'clock. What's the story? It's it's it's. I think it's going to hit a little close to home here, based on what we do. Uh, yeah, it's uh, these uh, these characters that started from the sketch show that uh, uh, APTN just was happy with them and I kept wanting to see more and uh, we decided to, to kind of take them from these kind of uh one-dimensional sketch comedy characters who were just they were a bit edgy and racy at the time to to more uh, three-dimensional, really sweet, uh, morally integral people. Endearing, who, yeah, they're, they're they're very endearing. You know, that's uh, there's there's been some comparison to uh, uh, the Flintstones. Fred and Will, yeah, know, I'm, sure. I'd be more like Fred. You'd be more <laughs> like Will because Sheldon's a little or Delmer's a little more timid than. Well, I guess we both are, but you know, it's it's a fun show. It's a family show, first of all, because when we do it on Caution, May Contain Nuts, there when they originated, uh, it was the humor is a little more racy, a little more adult. Uh, so yeah, it's nice because now, now my my nieces and nephews are going to be able to watch exactly. it, which is kind of nice. The kids so. can watch because it, it's a family sitcom, you know. And and when it comes down to it, uh, it's nice to hang out with your family and have something to watch on television. Yeah. And so the characters move off the reservation into uh, the small town of Morningside, and uh, Marta gets a job as a breakfast morning show host on a small television station. And uh, and Delmer sort of left to figure out what he's going to do with his life. And Howie, you're playing Marta. I am playing Marta. Yes. How are you preparing for the role of a female television morning show host? You know, growing up watching all the the different uh, uh, shows we had here in Edmonton. You know, Edmonton for me is still a small town, even though we're we're a major metropolitan city. <laughs> It feels like I know everybody, and everybody's the same kind of person at Edmonton. So watching these, growing up watching them, you know, on the old like ITV. who? Who are you modeling your well, performance you know, after? It's, it's not really modeling. I mean, there's there's Lorraine Mansbridge, yeah, who, uh, who I love and adore. Um, and then there's also um, uh, uh, Bridget. Bridget, oh, Bridget Ryan, Ryan. Bridget yeah. Ryan, who who does the morning. <laughs> yeah, we actually and, have um, talked about Bridget before in, in the writers' we room. We have. And, uh, you know, there, it's just, it's an amalgamation of that and, and my own timidness and, you know, preparing for the role, there was really no nothing really to do. Because, I, I mean, <laughs> she's fish out of water, so I'm fish out of water, too. So. I think, we, we have a couple of clips from Delmer and Marta, which premieres tonight on APTN, and I think this is one, is this you bra shopping? Hang on, here it is. Can I help you? Uh, yeah. Uh, I need to get a bra. And... Who is this for? Oh, not for me. They're for my lady. No man should ever buy a woman a bra. Oh, I've heard that. What size is she? Well, uh, she's about uh, like this. You know, kind of kind of like like this. Or about uh, like, like that. I mean her cup size. Oh, extra large, triple, triple. Right. 
Do you know her band size? Our band has about 800 people. <laughs> that from Delver and Marta. Uh, Sheldon, you're sitting here acting it out for me. <laughs> yeah, I think people yeah, could probably imagine yeah, what you're doing with your hands. Uh, but like, like, like this. Great, and and he's, like do, that, he's doing it again on the radio, too. Yeah. Great clip. Yeah. Well, this was uh, this an, an idea hatched, and you've you've almost compared it to to like uh, WKRP in Cincinnati arrives in Morningside, Alberta. But how do you sit down and actually develop when you take something from a sketch? I mean, we've seen, for example, you know, I mean, SCTV or you know, I mean, the Coneheads, right? Or Saturday Night Live will have skits that'll go big into their very own movies, Night of the Roxbury, whatever. <laughs> Wayne's World, there's tons of them. <laughs> what challenges are involved in taking an idea that works for a sketch for five or six minutes and, and turning it into an entire season? Well, first of all, Ryan, um, here's the thing: we when we started this show, it was, uh, I think, subconsciously, it was kind of modeled after Bob and Doug McKenzie. They were always sitting on their couch with their, you know, their their beers and their, their uh, back bacon there on the Coleman stove. <laughs> and our characters were always sitting in the pickup truck and or either on our couch. Or on the couch. But it was always that straight on shot and we were just t- talking to the cameras, being silly. And the very first day we were filming, the very first time we, I was dressed up as Marta and he was Delmer in the pickup truck, before the director said action, I leaned into Sheldon and I grudgingly said, you know, this is going to be the one that's going to go places. Because it's the mo- I'm the most uncomfortable right now. So this is probably the one we're going to sh- have to show up at parades and do television appearances. They're going to make a movie out of this. We're going to have our own album. We'll get Getty Lee to do the theme song. It was also right around the time that your eldest son was and then right, yeah, becoming same super time. famous with the Twilight movies as one of the members of the Wolf Pack. So yeah, when, Tyson yeah. Houseman, right? Tyson your son. Gets, uh, gets Twilight. I get uh, you know Marvel. bras and wigs. So <laughs> that's show business. But I mean, to translate it uh, to to move this along, it, it wasn't it wasn't really that difficult. It was more of a a fun kind of challenge. Like, where do you guys want to do it? What do you want to do with the show? And it's like, wow, do we want to be in space? Do we want to be on a yacht? Do we, you know? You know, let's try and figure out something funny and accessible, and then it just figured itself out. I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, it was really interesting because there's it, it, once once you do you take them off the reservation, it was sort of uh, it really was just one of those situations where we could put them anywhere, and then it was really about being a fish out of water and just watching these really sweet this sweet couple sort of uh, adapt and change and, and deal with the world around them, even though everyone else around them is super crazy and ridiculous. <laughs> Anybody that's watched Caution May Contain Nuts knows that you too and, and your colleagues have no problem being irreverent. I think you've used the <laughs> word racy several times, edgy. It's funny stuff. A lot of your topical humor is based on, I don't know, maybe your experiences or, or even stereotypes around some of Canada's First Nations communities. When you're integrating that into comedy... Is there a certain sensitivity that needs to come with it? Can you take me through that process? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we uh, we've had this conversation lots in the writers' room uh, and uh, and sitting down, and we we have because uh, I think mainly the thing is that immediately we have two indigenous people writing, and uh, and I think that's that's a huge thing for the production itself, right? Because we have. Because immediate representation, right? Yeah. And and so even though we have other white writers like uh, Matt Alden and Ian Barr, uh, none of the jokes ever get past us. We uh, that's what's so great. Yeah, we're, there's that, always that that test run of okay, well, we're not too sure. Is this comfortable? Is this going to make people feel uncomfortable? And for us, you know, we have to put on two different hats because first of all, no, it's really funny, and then we have to step back and go, well, people may think that's kind of uncomfortable, or maybe we're crossing a line there. Yeah. Who do you so, consider yourself to be accountable to? 
Oh, oh wow. I think uh, anybody who watches television that wants to enjoy television with their family. Uh, because exactly. the show is yeah. a family, it's geared towards a family show. So, so if, you wanna... if we uh, tackle like a heavy subject, like in uh, this season, we actually talk about uh, mascots and like uh, the Washington Redskins uh, or uh, an unnamed uh, Edmonton football, football team. team. <laughs> uh, Do you consider the Edmonton Eskimos name to be offensive, by well, the that, way? Again, this is sort of one of those things where like when we start talking about the subject and when we start talking about comedy is is how how far do we go before we're now it's getting too serious and too heavy handed exactly how how and far so, can we go before it becomes unfunny yeah because, it, because, because you're tapping a heavy it, but yeah. when you talk about comedy and especially family comedy we have to be able to to talk about it and at the same time bring it bring it to light without it being too heavy handed and so those are those things where it's i mean you watched uh, we were talking about the uh, the daily show and you're, you're watching their segment about uh, the washington redskins and then them asking saying like hey is it what if they change the name? Would you still be a fan? Would you still go watch the games? And you're like, well, yeah. And you're like, well, oh, well, then just change the name. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, think of how much new merchandise they'd sell, by the way. Exactly. Why does nobody ever talk about that? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it's come down to a matter of principle, or some people would argue a, mac of, a matter of lack of principle. I don't know. Yeah, that, but that, being that's able a, to joke about it is, is important, but at the same time, if we if we keep tackling those subjects, we, we're, we're now trying to be, we're more than a comedy show, and it, and it sort of loses its luster for comedy. In other words, you want to keep it kind of surface level or do you want to offer some sort of social commentary like I look at the the legacy of say Richard Pryor or even Chris Rock or, or you know some comedians that have not been afraid to look inside their own personal experience or their own culture or their own ethnicity or their own religion depending on who you're talking about I mean Bill Maher has been quite irreverent uh, mm-hmm. you know a lot of people have but a lot of times when you have say for example a black comedian talking about black issues I'm sitting there as a white guy going I, I don't think it's cool I don't think I'm allowed to exactly. laugh at this exactly. you have to I don't think I should be laughing at you're, this you're very uncomfortable. But how you, you make sure? Yeah, I mean, well, in your stand-up comedy, the stand-up—that's exactly in my in my routine. I'm accountable, though. I'm the only one on stage, and I'm accountable for what yeah, comes exactly. out of my mouth. So, if it makes people feel awkward, that's part of that's part of what I enjoy. Uh, but it also, by the end of the, my set or whatever, it brings everyone together, and we've all laughed about the same things. I've brought it to the surface, and people are are kind of sharing this sort of pain or tragedy that I've made funny. But we're all on the same page afterwards, and that's what I enjoy. For something like the show, it's got to be on surface, but not too much because we still want people to watch, and we don't want to be hitting them overhead with, with big social commentary, even though it's still there, and we're dealing with it in a very humorous way. It's more generic than Howie Miller's act on his own. So yeah, Sometimes I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting how, how media and entertainment can work to just put something up on a plate in front of people to discuss. You don't. I mean, the fact that you just touch on the mascot issue. I mean, even if you had a mascot just walk through the set, you don't necessarily have to have some big conclusion, some thesis that no, you deliver. No. And that's what's so great is, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, in the episode that we're referring to, Delmer actually gets caught up in it um, and has kind of becomes the mascot unknowingly. And so he's sort of left to kind of figure out what that means for himself. And he so, learns the lesson in the show. He actually... The character Delmer learns the lesson of what a mascot means so, and the history yeah. of it, and and what it. So what, you have an indigenous projected. kind of issue uh, that's a, directly affecting an indigenous character and 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 person in the show. So that's, this, I think it's cool. This is this is really exciting. That I mean, for all intents and purposes, as you take a look at your cast, crew, the writers, everybody, is it is it almost entirely a made in Edmonton production? Uh, there's I think two actors, three actors that uh, aren't 
There's one actor that isn't from Edmonton, and there's two that are from Edmonton but have moved on to Toronto yeah. and Vancouver. Yeah. The rest is all Edmonton. Our director uh, is, is from Canada. Uh, yeah, you will just say he's from Canada, but <laughs> sure. uh, Michael Kennedy is amazing. So, but everyone for the majority of it, I'd say you know ninety five percent of the the cast and crew is from Edmonton, and we would be nowhere without that the amazing crew that we have. The Our crew is absolutely amazing. Like all they, the PAs. and they're so involved in the show, and they they're constantly bringing offers to the table to help make the show funnier. So costumes and makeup, and it's just from everybody, all facets. The production crew on this show is amazing. Even just from uh, sort of a. Uh, less sexy observation from a sort of behind the scenes or backstage observation it's just good to see so many talented Albertans, so many talented Edmontonians finding work in film and television because we know there are so many here in our city. Fellas, hang tight for one second it's 10.20 which means somebody could qualify right now to go to Sin City to see a show a quarter century in the making. Guns and Roses together in Las Vegas for their first show in more than 20 years. Sheldon's jaw just hit the floor. You could be there. Not you, Sheldon. You're out of luck. But one lucky winner and their guest will win a trip for two to Las Vegas to see GNR perform their very first show back together. If you haven't visited 630ched.com to register, do it right now and then tune in daily at 7.20 and 10.20 in the morning, 4.20 p.m. If you hear your name, you've got six minutes and 30 seconds to call 780-496-0063 and you'll qualify to see the reunion concert of a lifetime. If you live in Edmonton and your name is John Hassink, you've got six minutes and now 25 seconds to give Gina a call. 780-496-0063, John Hassink of Edmonton. Good luck. More with Howie Miller, Sheldon Elter, right after this. Delmer, I think I need more support. Marta, I thought that too. Really? Well, how come you haven't said anything? Well, I didn't know how to bring it up. Man doesn't always know what to do. I guess... But it's such a pain. The weight on my shoulders, the constant headaches. Do you need a shrink? No, I don't want to shrink. I just need a bigger cup. Okay, now I'm confused. Of course you are. You're a man. I just need you to give me a ride to the store so I can get a new bra. Oh, sure. I'll give you a lift. <laughs> you made a boob joke. A boob joke? You can... Can we catch a couple more <laughs> boob jokes tonight, guys? Did, like you, make did you make one? <laughs> Delver and Martin. I think you did. I think I did. Premiering <laughs> 10 p.m. on APTN. Stars of the show. Writers as well, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Sheldon Elter and Howie Miller in the spotlight today. Really cool jobs. Now, uh, you're, Sheldon, currently, you're, you're doing double duty right now. You're also uh, performing at the Citadel Theater right now. Yes, I'm playing the White Knight in Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is a, a really awesome show that's kind of made its way across the country and started out at Stratford and has made its way out west here. And uh, it's, it's like uh, Monty Python for families. Huh. And you're, <laughs> so, you're just back from New Zealand as well. Uh, no, I wasn't in New Zealand. I've been to New Zealand uh, while I did my uh, own one-man show called Métis Mutt. Yeah. That I uh, I toured out there. I can't remember how many years ago that was. Uh, but it was a, a kind of an autobiographical one-man show uh, about my stand-up experience and the death of my father and uh, drug and alcohol abuse and my own struggles with it. And so I, I toured it out to uh, New Zealand and uh, it was 
a really wild experience to kind of be able to share that with the Maori people who seem to share a lot of similar stories. I should throw this in as well. People may, I don't know if they recognize your speaking voice, but recognize probably your singing voice as a member of the B. Arthurs as well. You guys are, I mean, both of you though, and how I want to find out, catch up on what you're doing as well in just a little bit, but it, like you've got to have a ton of different irons in the fire as artists. Oh, we try to, you know, I, I tour a lot down in the States now and I'm always trying to get out uh, overseas uh, because I believe, like uh, in Great Britain, uh, they, they they're a fan of Native Americans, and I've, I've had the opportunity to perform in Scotland. But uh, you know, being jealous of Sheldon going down to New Zealand because I want to go there and they hang out with hobbits. Uh, <laughs> but I'd love to do uh, you know a stand-up package down there with Sheldon and I or some some sketches. But uh, I've actually been recently talking to people from Germany. And there's a huge sort of uh, fascination with Native Americans, and the the debate over there is like whether it's a good thing or it's a bad thing, or how well are they representing it, or are they are they being you know culturally insensitive, or are they just really big fans? So, I'd like to go over there personally with Sheldon and just sort of set the record straight, you know, do some sketches, have him perform. We'll do a play. Unfortunately. Or fortunately, he writes himself a one-man play, so I could never never be involved in that, but we'll write our own thing or something. Yeah, if this this Delmer and Marta thing really takes off, you could find yourself, like I always, you know, with Trailer Park Boys, the guy that's Bubbles, now he's like, he's got to be Bubbles all the time, you know? I know, I know, and you know, I know. (laughs) We'll just say I know. Well, uh, for all of our uh, pure entertainment, I hope that the show absolutely takes off, Howie. So every time that we see you doing signings and appearances around town, around yeah, Canada, into Germany, yeah, yeah, I, I it'll don't be a whole. I'm in like, I better start growing my mullet. A whole new look yeah. for you. A whole new look. So tonight, ten. What's what's the feeling? The the eve of a launch. I mean, it's it's in eleven and a half hours. It goes to air for the first time. What, what's the what's the feeling like? You know, there's 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 so much excitement. I mean, the thing is, we're we're both from smaller communities. We're over from Edmonton. We've worked so hard to to do a television show in Edmonton. It's not very easy to do because we didn't have to go to Vancouver, Toronto to do this. It's in Edmonton, so we're excited for everyone's involved. The, the rest of the cast. That uh, you know, we want them to be shown in, a, in, a, in an awesome light and see the rest of the country see them. Uh, how what studio they are. do you shoot at, by the way? Uh, you know, it, we it, we've been shifting as uh, we've been losing uh, studio space uh, here at Edmonton, and so it, it's been hard for Mosaic Entertainment to kind of find a, and, and a solid studio. So we've been we kind of shoot all over the place. Uh, we we make we... Yeah, makeshift studios out of uh, warehouses and whatnot, uh, f- you know, for all for, for for all these things. So and who knows? Hopefully, if this uh, really takes off and and uh, you know and roots itself, uh, we'll actually be able to have like a solid studio space and make this a, a common thing for Edmonton. This this is, I mean, you've just put something on our radar, whether you intended to or not. I don't think a lot of people have been talking about it. We've noted the, the, the number of live music venues that have that have been closing mm-hmm. in Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. A couple of new ones. City. It's exciting. A couple of new ones opening, we should mention. But, you know, I mean, for the most part, uh, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talking about losing studio space. Is that, that's a recent thing? Yeah, and, you know, yeah. and uh, Mosaic Entertainment doesn't just shoot uh, Delmer and Marta. They shoot Tiny Plastic Men for Super Channel. Uh, yeah. They, uh, multiple of uh, independent films and things. Yeah. And so... For, you know, if we could have find ourselves a solid studio space, I think it might, who knows, open the door for uh, other uh, TV shows. Well, bigger and better productions, and they're always getting bigger and better. So, you know, hopefully this is just a testament to we have a national television show that's going out from Edmonton, uh, starring, you know, like a, a cast and crew from Edmonton, and we're proud of it. So there's Love just, it. it's pride that's really pumping through the veins right Congratulations, now. Congratulations, fellas. Thanks, Thanks so for, for making us. the trip Thank into you, the studio. Ryan. Always fun to catch up with you. Uh, you can follow Sheldon Elter and Howie Miller on Twitter. And, of course, check out Delmer and Marta, the premiere, season one, tonight, 10 p.m. on APTN. Here's the news. 
1035 on the nose on this Wednesday morning. That was a lot of fun with Howie and Sheldon. On the text line to 630-630, this is interesting. A listener, and I, and I didn't catch your text when they were on, but I, I think in a roundabout way they answered your question. The listener here says, would you ask them, please, about why they chose to do the accents in the show as opposed to using their, quote, normal voices? It, it seems almost mocking. And I think we touched on that. When, when someone looks into their own cultural background, their own ethnicity, for the purposes of comedy, to whom are you accountable and how careful do you have to be? Fascinating conversation with those two. Really appreciate their time. As mentioned, their show airs tonight, Delmer and Marta, 10 p.m. on APTN. We've been looking forward to checking in with our next guest for quite some time. Most people agree that our technology is getting smarter. I mean, heck, our phones have smart in the name we used to describe them, our smartphones these days. But do we realize how smart our technology is getting? I mean, is technology smarter than us? Niall Nickel is a human relations and technology expert joining us over the phone this morning. Uh, Niall, I want to first of all say thanks. This is the first time we've had an opportunity to connect. How are you? I am doing wonderful, and it's a pleasure to to talk with all of our friends up north here. Yeah, you're in Clearwater, Florida this morning. Is that right? Yeah, I'm down in the sunny part of Florida where, you know, the air conditioner's running hard today. Oh, you're rubbing it in, my man. <laughs> Beautiful spring temperatures up here in Edmonton, but we've still got a ways to go. Niall, you're you're a real tech guy, an expert, so to speak, on how smart technology's getting. When you look around, what really impresses you these days? Well, I, I, just about everything. But the thing that I'm probably most excited about uh, is some advances that are made in healthcare. I mean, I think everybody's heard about the robotic surgeries that go on, uh, but there's a lot of new technology, for example, in cancer treatment. Uh, you know, right now it's very easy for doctors to harvest healthy cells from an individual and then harvest some cancerous cells via a bi- biopsy. They then go through an automated full DNA sequencing uh, and they figure out what genes are actually causing the cancer. And then they develop unique targeted therapies that will only attack the cancerous cells and leave the healthy cells alone, as opposed to chemotherapy that just sort of attacks everything. Um, And uh, they're just having remarkable results in, in completely wiping out some cancers that prior have been completely uncurable. Huh. We had an opportunity just last week to speak with a couple heart surgeons, and it was incredible to, to hear their insight on how important non-invasive surgical options are when it comes to a patient's recovery. Obviously, advances in technology are, are having a real human impact on people. Oh, they absolutely are. And, and you know, the biggest thing that I look at is, uh, you know, the technology revolution that we're in right now is going to shift things radically in the next 20 years. As a matter of fact, it's estimated that somewhere between 50 to 70 percent of the jobs will be that currently exist will be eliminated in the next 20-year period. That is just uh, just a total upheaval. When you consider that the industrial revolution that changed everything occurred over about a 70-year period, we're really compressing that. It's just going to cause a lot of upheaval. 
Niall, when we talk about technology becoming smarter than us, I mean, extreme examples, people talk about, you know, robots are taking over for human workers in factories, and ultimately people will be able to have, you know, romantic or physical relationships with robots. There's artificial intelligence. I mean, the game is changing on almost a month-to-month basis. If somebody asks you if technology is indeed smarter than we are, what do you say? Well, smarter, I don't think so. More knowledgeable? Certainly. But, you know, I don't know if, if computers can or will surpass human thought, but, you know, what I do look at is some of the leading scientists and technologists, like St- Stephen Hawking, for example, and, and uh, Elon Musk, who's uh, the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, they're concerned about what we used to call that science fiction thing of the computers taking over the world. They're expressing concern that from what they see computers are doing and with artificial intelligence developing, yeah, it's a possibility. I was uh, reading a little bit about about AI and Oculus Rift, and I don't know too much about it, Niall, but, but what's something in that field or in the technology field that's really grabbing your attention as a tech expert, something that you're, you know, metaphorically on the edge of your seat? Well, I'm looking at the advances that are going on in robotics right now, and uh, they truly have robots that for defined jobs uh, and a lot of the variabilities that occur in those jobs, the robot could totally do, uh, from climbing steps to stocking shelves uh, to, you know, delivering groceries to, uh, you know, assisting someone with their groceries to the car. Just things that you could never imagine being possible. And not only are they possible, but now they've gotten so good at it, they're saying, We want to make the robots more friendly, which means we've got to give them human characteristics. So they're working on making the robots more human. Uh, And it just, it's really fascinating and mind-boggling when you see the advances that are occurring at a very rapid pace. Are there consequences for people that just don't care much to keep up? I mean, everybody knows that one friend that, that maybe doesn't have email or that refuses to be on Facebook or somebody that says, you know, we don't have a TV in our home. Do you get to a point where society starts to leave you behind? Well, you do. And, you know, if you would have asked me this maybe 10 years ago, I would have said no. And I understand a lot of people that that don't want to engage technology. But technology right now, like it or not, is encroaching in more areas of our life. I mean, let's just take our banking, for example. It used to be that you could go into the bank and see a teller. More and more banks today are saying you could only see a real human under certain conditions. Otherwise, you're going to be pushed into the automated ATMs and and online banking and things like that. We're going to see more areas where those things happen, and unless you engage with the technology, there are services that you might want to take advantage of that you can't. I mean, even in restaurants today, more and more restaurants are going to automated self-service ordering and self-service checkout. By the same token, we're seeing restaurants that are putting automated robotic chefs in the kitchen. So... You know, you might walk in to get a meal at an establishment and there might be nobody there.
Yeah, you know, this This is interesting, Niall, because a few of the uh, the fast food restaurants here in our city, here in Edmonton, have, have introduced some of these, I won't call them robots, but they're like ordering stations. You know, you go in, there's the touch screen, you get your meal, you go up to the till, you pick it up. Now, they've insisted, their PR move on this, I don't know if it's spin or not, is that they need uh, more, you know, hosting uh, positions filled. They need more, uh, you know, service delivery or expediting roles within that restaurant. So they say, actually, it could mean more jobs jobs for people but I'll tell you some people think the sky is falling when they see these these technological integrations into business that's been around for a while without it. Well, I I would agree with that. I mean, you know, the biggest push that we've seen most recently is where McDonald's has has, has moved to automate their complete restaurant establishments. And that is based on some of the uh, moves in the US to set a much higher minimum wage than currently exists. And so the businesses are saying, listen, if we're going to have to do that, we've, we've got to look at a way that we could serve competitively priced food and uh, still meet our profit expectations. Judge that how you will. Nevertheless, they're moving that direction to move people out of those establishments. Quite honestly, I don't see the people coming back. Yeah, Niall, you know, we're, we're on that same track up here in, in the province of Alberta, our minimum wage. Uh, our premier says she wants to see it rise up to 15 bucks an hour. It was $10.20 just a short time ago, so you can bet that this is part of that conversation. I'll ask you to hang tight for a second. Our guest this half hour is Niall Nickel. He's a, a technology and human relations expert. When we come back... Is there a bit of an underbelly? Is there a bit of a darker side to this integration of so-called smart technology? Anything we should maybe be aware of? That's where we'll go with Niall Nickel after this. 1046 on this Wednesday morning, our guest out of Clearwater, Florida, Niall Nickel, a technology and human relations correspondent for NBC, Fox, CNN, and other networks. Niall, thanks for holding the line. Listeners tuning in right now on our text line to 630-631 says, I never use self-checkout in stores. I know it'll take jobs away from tellers. Meantime, Ted in St. Paul says, one thing to remember, technology may reduce costs, but robots don't buy. In other words, they don't give back to the economy. Is that something worth our consideration? Well, it certainly is. And, uh, you know, I have a feeling that we're all going to resist this and fight it for a while. I even agree with that. But uh, I think seeing where things are moving uh, and knowing the way that business always finds a way to integrate things, uh, you know, to to reduce that cost, I think we're going to see more and more of the robotic uh, takeover in the workplace. You, you, you open talking about medical technology and, and some of the leaps and bounds that have been made through the years. You know, on the flip side of that is the assertion some people make that we're getting a little too close to the point where we're playing God. What's your gut instinct on how far science should endeavor to go? You know, I don't know where that line is because, uh, you know, even if you look for uh, some of the things that you might consider uh, problematic. Um, yeah, we're finding ways that uh, that that technology ends up benefiting so many people in so many different ways. So, you know, the problem that we're having now is uh, we're we're having ethical concerns that are also overlapping moral concerns, and that is a difficult line because we can't agree on a, a lot of those type of issues in our daily lives. I mean, just look at the abortion issue alone. Um, you know, as long as that has been discussed and ruled in different ways, 
there are still proponents and opponents of that that are diametrically opposed to that same issue. Yeah, and, and always will be. I mean, it's one of those things where you try to find consensus on subject matter that integrates, like you said, uh, or relies upon people's ethical beliefs, as well as perspective on science and technology. It can, it can be a complicated conversation. And it can be, especially as, as different cultures integrate into our society. Um, you know, immigration is a big issue for all of us today. And uh, as we, uh, we have more immigrants from more diverse places, they come with a completely different set of beliefs. And so it really does create a lot of, of uh, what I would call interesting issues for us. Niall, any closing thoughts on how smart technology impacts us as humans before we thank you for your time? You know, like it or not, I think that we're going to find that it, it will impact us and everything from the way that we're used to engaging with services, the way that we're engaging with people, getting our health care, getting our food, getting our news, and all of that. And I think the more that we try to isolate ourselves from that, the more that we're going to find ourselves isolated from the main part of society. Thanks for giving us a few things to think about today. You're absolutely great. You're absolutely welcome, and it's absolutely great to be with you. <laughs> Niall Nickel, a human relations and technology expert, also the president and CEO of several companies, Balance Engines, Small Change, and Revenue Assurance Holdings. You can follow him on Twitter at Niall Nickel. We've had some interesting conversation on the text line following diving into the mailbag through the 9 o'clock hour. We knew we would. One listener in particular, though, pretty upset with some comments I made about Vince Lee. We'll get to his take. Give him the floor. Next. Following our conversation with technology expert and correspondent Niall Nickel on Twitter, Roger Rabbitleg says technology merely allows the virus that is humanity to destroy the planet at a faster rate. Maybe not, though. What about solar technology? What about so-called green technology? I know I'm going to get comments on wind turbines now. I just know it. Listener here, this is Brandon, says, I'm still young, but I often think to myself, the most troubling thing about my eventual passing, be it a year from now or 60 from now, will be missing all of the technological advancements. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we sit there and we go, like, what could possibly be next? I mean, who, you know, you remember when we thought, like, CDs were the biggest deal? You know, and then now, like, you know... DJs that are going to play clubs, they're not walking around with milk cartons of, of records anymore. They roll in with maybe like a memory stick, just like music streaming. I just, I, that's one, I mean, geez, what they're doing in medicine these days? Are you kidding me? What will they come up with next? Listener here says, I'm steadfast against life extension using medical technology. Natural death was denied me in 2012. I'm still searching for my new purpose. Another says if robots take over the workplace, then the earth does not need 6 billion people. Depopulation will happen. The dumbing down of the education systems and people in general, we will answer to machines. Good luck to humanity. Scott in Sherwood Park says sometimes people just don't want to be served by robots. They want to see an actual person. If people are willing to pay for it, robots will be serving us. If people don't like it, robots in the service industry will not be there anymore. That from Scott. Absolutely. I'm picturing the Jetsons right now. We went through our mailbag earlier and we, we talked about the story of Tim McLean. He's Vince Lee's victim, whether you like me to put it that way or not. He's the man who was killed, the innocent man killed on a Greyhound bus back on July 30th, 2008. I described his killing as a 
heinous murder, and it upset Graham, who's listening to the show, and Graham sent me this. Way to influence your audience, Ryan, by calling the actions of a severely mentally ill person heinous murder. We know what you think. Like most people, you give lip service to mental illness, but when it comes down to it, you don't really believe those inflicted with moments of madness cannot be held responsible. All you get on your show is, you know, people who believe in vengeance because there's no place for understanding of being severely mentally ill in a society that offers band-aid solutions and no real help. You, me, and everyone else in Canada are responsible for the acts of the mentally ill because we don't want to pay more tax dollars to provide adequate treatment and help believing corporations will fix everything. He says there was no intent here. Vince Lee obviously was a very sick man dealing with a severe form of mental illness. He didn't go out and kill someone using his rational mind. He did so with a broken one. By calling it a heinous murder, you're showing a lack of understanding of what it means to have a broken mind, to not be in control of your actions, to not know where to turn for help. Vince Lee is one of many sad examples that will happen over and over again in our society until people like you let go of sensationalized phrases and look at what resources were there for a person like Vince Lee. Calling it a heinous murder is a simplistic description of a very sad and tragic situation. Vince Lee is the consequence of a society that's extremely ignorant about mental illness. I don't care if he's let free. I care about the next Vince Lee and how to make sure that person has access to help before things get so far gone. Are we as a society better able to help the Vince Lees of the world before they listen to the voices in their head? It's easy to be sympathetic to someone with depression, but what about being sympathetic to someone whose illness is much more severe, so much so it causes that person to kill another? Graham says, I'd appreciate it if you do a show looking at the more severe mental illnesses and what those lives are like, not some well-off person from a family that could afford help, a below-the-poverty-line person trying to survive in a world with their broken mind. The only media we get about the more severely mentally ill is slanted conversation where hosts like you sensationalize things to get people talking. There's never any balance, which is why people who are mentally ill never talk about it. Could you imagine how those who listen to your show about Vince Lee could react if they met someone who's schizophrenic, even though most people with that illness will never harm another? Each mentally ill person you label as a heinous murderer, there are a thousand more who will never hurt anyone, who will never be able to open up and get the help they need for fear of being painted with the extreme brush. That from Graham. I appreciate your take. In the 11 o'clock hour, Dr. Dwayne Bratt will join us. Political scientist will take a look at that throne speech yesterday. And of course, we can't ignore the protest outside as well. News coming right up.